0: Uh, one of the singers was writing and also brought in a studio singer and brought in the first lead singer to sing on that album. And I was going to I was going to walk into the studio to learn some of the songs, record some vocals and backup vocals, and then lay down percussion sleigh, from the sleigh bells around my ankles to lay down a percussion set throughout. If you listen to Macho Man, you can hear the bells, the sleigh bells in the song macho man. See, the, I didn't I, know that. I didn't yeah, know. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um and so after that was done and of course I walked into the studio. I didn't walk in with just like a jacket. I walked in in full gear. And you know, I lived the sage and the eagle feather and and I blessed the studio and they were looking at me like, "Okay. All right." And then finally it was a like Jacques after that was done. He realized, no, I don't want to make this a music project. I need to get this guy and get other guys in characters, like a cowboy, like a construction worker, to let's put a male group together. So he set off to do the male version of the Richie family, which was the village people.
1: Now, pre-everyone understanding
0: this, this is pre to any boy band yet. Pre to any boy band, pre to any way that you auditioned, you auditioned the old way through 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 Variety magazine or backstage. There was an ad place, and they were looking for macho types. And so the, he did uh, auditions. I went to the New York ones, not the ones in Miami, and not the ones in San Francisco. But he ended up choosing more of the uh of the players uh that became the characters in the group. Um, all from New York. But there was one test run with a bunch of other guys that he grabbed from the clubs and plucked them out of bars. And suddenly it was originally on the first American bandstand. It was just the lead singer, Alex the Biker, that became the GI and me. And there were another five other guys. And it was a disaster. It was like we did San Francisco Hollywood. It was so bad. Jacques, on American Bandstand. On American Bandstand, Jonathan immediately fired all those guys, and then we had the big auditions. And when we were having the auditions, down when uh, it came down to choosing the ones that uh, that auditioned, like like Glenn, the late Glenn Glenn Hughes. God bless him. What a great guy.
1: Let me show a picture of the first promo. What a
0: great guy. This is the first promo of. That was the first thing that we did on American Bandstand. And notice, there were only three characters. There were four. The biker, that was a Lee Mutong. the right. Lee, David Foster and Mark Musler as the cowboy and the construction worker. There's the original GI standing there with his arms crossed. And then Burris Whitehead in the middle with the little beanie cap, who was also one of the songwriters on the album. And then, of course, there's the first lead singer who wasn't a cop yet. Uh, Victor Willis. I was the only one where they said they wanted to build a group around me. When they told me the idea, I thought it was really stupid. <laughs> I, I, he showed me a drawing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, tell us what that's like. So, What do you mean it's stupid? Go ahead, tell us. No, I I, when they sh- I, went to their office and I saw that uh, there was uh, rendering. Felipe, come sit down, Felipe. Let me show you. They're like There were <laughs> renderings. There were renderings. And drawings, and I was drawing. And you saw, you know, the Mike, little mic stands, and then they had the some with some caps and this and that. And I just stared at it, and I said, "This is really stupid." <laughs> <laughs> and, were, and I could hear them very going. What I was forever mean? rolling my eyes with them like this, like. What do you mean, stupid? I was always rolling my because they were, you know, they thought different there. They were French and everything about America was oh, wonderful and Celavi and all that. And they were because Jacques Morales' birthday was on the 4th of July as well. So that's why he loved New York so much. Um, and so while all of that is being said and done, and all the guys were chosen David Hodo, the construction worker, Broadway dancer, he had just finished a show um, called Jazz Something with Lola Falana, and that didn't last. And so he got the part of the construction worker, and then Randy actually showed up. Randy Jones. <laughs> you see, I had the picture. right? There we what go. A cowboy hat. What a cowboy hat. That was in Holland. Brother, I'm just want to show the people that. Yeah, was- that was in Holland. You know, I was really smart. I would take my records and I would wrap them in in, in hotel towels, and I would take them home with me. And the, and the record and the record companies would tell them, oh, we'll mail them to you. And a lot of times, those records never arrived. No, you had to get... You had to bring them home. I brought mine home. So you got Randy there. Then who was the construction guy? at In, this the, in the red checkered shirt. That's David. David. David, okay. David has a wicked sense of humor. He's very smart. And then you got Glenn as the biker, right, Glenn Hughes? He went to the audition on a dare. He needed to dare... Oh, uh, to to go through the the dare of a bet that oh, I bet you won't go to this to this audition, and he showed up on his motorcycle, and walked in there with black denim jeans and black shirt and a black cap, and when we saw that mustache, we just realized, oh, look at that, that's crazy. He has, <laughs> the, Glenn has the second world's famous mustache. Yeah, Tom, Tom Selleck, then Glenn Hughes. And I think Freddie Mercury is up there on that list too.
1: Definitely, nobody had a mustache to look like that. Like so that the way, way-
0: think the whole thing came. No, you're right. The way the whole thing came together, and the way it was uh, then sold to Casablanca as a concept group, um, you know, a gay concept group for for the Middle America for them to digest, and the songs were all uh, tongue in cheek, and the show was choreographed where we actually didn't take it serious. We actually made more fun of ourselves than than in truth, in truth. But we also didn't disclose. We drew the line. I drew the line when it came to my personal uh, life. I did not want, I didn't want to talk about it in my professional life. And certainly not on TV, but at the time, we were living in different times, not like today. Today I can say on television, I'm gay and I love it. <laughs> Back then, no way. Oh no, I was like But explain uh, it to somebody who's very young now. Why I was, was it that way? I was very disciplined, and very in the sense of, you know, theater and the dance and the ballet and all that. And I was more disciplined with about the show and my my my, my uh, being on stage sharing the stage with other people. I didn't really want to talk about my life in that regard. Um, so, so the first album, San
1: Francisco and all that it's it. it you, you guys get the Casablanca situation. Did they, Neil Bogart meet all of you or it just got signed. Did anybody, did you have to all sign the actual contract or. We just- all
0: signed. Yeah. We saw No, we had a production company contract with the, uh, with the producers. But the producer signed the contract with the label. Okay. But then, they, but then they did that around the world with labels all over the world, so that when our music exploded in the United States, they also exploded in other countries and went and went double platinum and platinum. And and the royalties were actually quite shocking with so much money like that to come to a young man, you know. And so that's where immediately you have to learn how to process that situation. Do I spend it all now? Or do I invest and put money away so that when I'm an old man, I have something to fall back on? Now, your mindset doesn't say that. You want to spend money. So that's what you right. So that, what are you thinking in the beginning? What was well, well, you know, I lived, I did both. I was I was disciplined in the spending, but I also was very generous to family and friends. Very, very generous. But I also realized that. Rolling into my late 30s, it was time to stop. Stop bringing all the expenses down. I used to. I used to have four cars at one point. My dad said, "What do you need four cars for? Your butt can only drive one of them at a time." <laughs> so I started getting rid of the cars. But the thing is that you, you, if you, if you really surround yourself with a with a really good lawyer and a good accountant, uh, that's all you need. And and then eventually a financial advisor. Right, and, of course. So, because you're in it for the long haul. And the one person that told me early, early, early on in my life, and I'll never forget it in San Francisco on Corbett Street, sitting on the roof of his home with Sylvester, we were sipping on some champagne and we're overlooking the city. And he says to me, Child, save your money. <laughs> and I looked at him like, Really? He said, Save your money. Save your coins because you don't know if this will end tomorrow. And that was something that I always stayed with me. Miss Sylvester told you? Sylvester told me, save your money. She says, save put save put the duckies away. You know, you don't have to, you can go out and be fabulous. You the big champagne. Fabulous. That's right. And he owns his own house. He owns this little nice feeling thing.
1: fabulous. And he turns to you and says, save all your coins.
0: We were talking about the, the industry of where we were today, that we couldn't believe that we were both young and famous and, and all this. And uh and so um and we were like oh uh, approaching and heading into the AIDS era. So for we were scared and we were we were nervous and talking about life uh, and in retrospect sitting on the roof of his house and talking about everything that is actually happening with us. And then also, out of that conversation, he said, you know, the one thing that you, we I know that we have is that you're fortunate enough to be in this business, so you take your money and save it. Save your money. And I said, oh, my God, that was just great advice. Um,
1: now... 1976 into 77. I guess this is pre-to everything really starting to take off, right? Around that time.
0: Yeah, but you kind of really didn't know it yet. Okay, I mean, so we were traveling so much. We were traveling so, so much. When okay, Felipe, time stamp it
1: for us. You're dancing at places like the Anvil, going to 12 West, all that stuff. You Paradise Garage is just about ready to start, 77. When do you really meet Jocks Morali? When exactly around is this? Early, early seventy-seven. Early seventy-seven. Okay, so like he, literally January
0: of seventy-seven.
1: Right, right before Saturday Night Fever starts. This is even before Saturday Night Fever began, because in December of seventy-seven the movie comes out and the explosion begins. But right, so January seventy-seven, you meet Jocks. He wants to bring you in. You go in, and da
0: da da. When do you start recording? Right away, within that time frame. Within that time frame, when he said do you sing, I said I sing, and he said, "Well, sing this for me, okay?" And then you're gonna go in and sing this 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 track, where there were other voices already recorded on there, and um, and then I want the you to do percussion. I want you to do percussion and your sound the sound of sleigh bells in the in the studio. And then the second album, when 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 they finally put the group together and we went on and set off to record. The second album, with now the lead singer writing at the helm, writing. He didn't write the first album. He, Other people wrote that first album. But then Macho Man, T-West, I Am What I Am, all these songs on that album. Soon as the album was being mixed, there was a break. They sent me off to Paris to choreograph uh, a couple of songs for the Crazy Horse Saloon, where the women there are beautiful and they dance naked. They only wear high heels and uh, the light projected on their bodies is what they're wearing. Um, And so while they were uh, figuring out the show and the act, because now there's going on three albums. Then I returned and then we put the the show together and off we went on the road with a band immediately, like uh, in clubs on the floor dance floor. They would set up a band. See, that's we didn't know that. We
1: didn't know you were in Paris doing Crazy Horse Saloon, choreographing the well, show.
0: Well, they, they sent me to get me out of the way so they could focus on these guys. One of these guys, uh, the choreographer wanted to know, all right, Felipe's character is already, is, it is who he is, and that's already real. It's a real thing. It's a living thing. It's established. It's embellished. There's not much to do with him except just choreograph him into steps. The other guy's, how do they walk? How are they gonna act? How's the construction worker gonna act? And so there was character breakdown with all of that. And the guys brought in their personalities and injected their personalities with what they were looking for. Jacques was brilliant at that. Felipe, was Jacques Morelli rich? Was he, he-, did well, he did well. They you know he they did um um they, they a lot of a lot of his investment came from his partner, Henri Balolo was the attorney. And there's always, a, there's always an attorney somewhere. That's what I was wondering. What, there's always an attorney out there somewhere. Somebody's
1: funding something. Somebody's funding yeah. something. In the business. Yeah. So, so the, tell us the precking. So, because he's flying back and forth. He's in the studio. He's doing, wait, I'm guessing, if I remember correctly, you working at a Sigma in New York at that time? And also
0: in Philadelphia. Sigma Philly and Sigma New York, yeah, right? They had, the, they had the studio band was Gypsy Lane And then we had the protégés of Gypsy Lane. They were called Bittersweet. And so we took these young black boys from Philadelphia and we went out on the road with the group and you have five gay guys and one straight guy, village people, the cop and five gay guys. And we went out and we burned rubber. We literally went from... The, the north of Maine, all the way down the Eastern seaboard and stopping off at cash box or tower records. Um, I forget the other, uh, peaches. Um, these are record stores that were like, we're like if people can, can remember Virgin records, um, well, we had tower records and, um, and so then we would do radio, we would do TV sound check, and then the show, and then back on the bus, and then the same thing all over again. And we did that for months. But that while we were doing that, we, we could see on Record World and Billboard, you could see the record sales going up through the, the path that we would take and cut across the United States.
1: So pre-Saturday Night Fever, things were bubbling. But I guess after Saturday Night Fever movie hit, I guess it must have exploded
0: for you guys. With YMCA, that really like thank you that, that you cracked go? that wall. It cracked that ceiling, and then suddenly, um, it was the song that just you know what does it mean? You know there are many me- there are many meanings to it. So, so tell us so the no. accurate the accurate the, the accurate meaning of it, the way it happened was that Jesus needed a filler song, but the thing is. Because of the gym, the particular gym, of the McBurney gym on 23rd Street, had the reputation at, in the city that there were also there was action going on in the steam rooms and stuff like that. So Jacques knowingly, and he loved uh YMCA when he found out first what it was. I mean, and I mean, it's not to take away from the organization because they actually had people there that were living there because they couldn't afford to live in and uh, rent-stabilized buildings in New York. Rent was expensive. Um, people would go there to work out. A large uh, contingent of the gay community would go there and work out there, and they had fun there. And so basically the song, Kiss say E-M-C-I, and they told them, young man. And in five minutes, they wrote the song, like literally that quick. And uh, you would always say, we... We're going to write a new song. No, bitch, you're gonna write the song. I'm just gonna stand here in the sidelines and just watch you. And so then next thing you know, he's like, he's he's just sort of singing and and, and the, with this very quick rabbit, you, young man, da 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 da, young man. And I was like, oh my god, my eyes, my head would roll. My eyes would roll into my head. I would go, another stupid song.
1: You're saying so how tired, right? You go, this is
0: so freaking oh, stupid. song. please, God, help me get me out of this thing. And then, don't you know that once the album was delivered and it was sent to Neil Hogarth, he listened to the whole album and he took the single and said, This is the single, not the women. We were singing about the women of LA, then the movies and Lola for a lot of this and that. No, Nick. Not uh, the late Neil Bogart made that song what it is today. So,
1: in these, and you're saying you worked it okay, I gotta because people want to know this part too. Sigma and recording that album, was it the people who worked on the Tramps records, like Earl Young and them on the drums? Was it the same people? Was it
0: the same machine that was? No, I don't think them? that Neil, I don't think that Earl Young played on any of the group's music, but that uh, many of these groups were working at that recording studio. Oh, you had Giants in there. And then you had the likes of, like, Richie Rivera mixing for Warner Brooke, Warner, Warner Records. You had huge um, Ask Ray Caviano. Before um, everybody know. hang
1: on, Richie Rivera played at Flamingos, everybody. He was a well-known DJ at that time. He's got his letter right now. He said, Richard Rivera. So those are your very young Yeah, the way, Richard Rivera, he he actually
0: did a lot of mixing at at Sigma Sound. In fact, they did the first, like the disco rendition of Hallelujah 2000. That's right. And let me go in there and lay down percussion. Um, and, uh, And so I did. And so, you know, I was also working as a musician as well. Cutting other other studio uh, work because I again I didn't know this thing with this group is popular. He's, you're still on that fence, right? You're like this is. I was not- on the fence, you know, and that's why I guess I ended up staying so long. Is that I ended up realizing the magnitude and the and how blessed I was and everything that has been given to me and the worldwide fans of of, of really how kind they and really the well, loyalty that they I- have.
1: For Can an I audience. clarify the magnitude of what happens after Saturday Fe Fever and everything? I mean, it's funny to hear him say how whack and tired this stuff is. Because some of us who clubbed, who know the music, have all kind of said the same thing. Some of the records are too commercial, too slapstick in a way. But when this group hits the front of Rolling Stone,
0: for God's sake, you got to say to yourself, this is pretty massive. That com- that album almost that cover that almost didn't happen. There was a real big altercation. No one was gonna do it. Bill King's like, oh, what am I gonna do? They called producers and they said there's gonna be no cover. And they literally flipped out and said, if you guys don't shoot this cover, you're all fired. And we shot <laughs> Wait. If you put it up again, if you put it Wait. up again, there you go, there you go. Go ahead. that the reason why I'm pushing in. And David's faces, the construction worker turning away. They were spraying water with a big fan. Oh God, to cool us down because it was not. And that's thus the story in part, which the rest will stay in my book. <laughs> what do you mean, <laughs> man? All Hang on, the details of the details. I can't don't the wait. Don't go into the details. You guys were arguing at that point. There was a huge altercation. It was crazy. Yeah. But a road crew and one oh. of the members, one of the members, and then another member got it. was just not a good day. And we were just, that's it. We quit. <laughs> and who made the call and said you're all fired? The photographer talk- said, we're not going to have this album. This this cover's not going to happen. And Neil Bogart nearly, well, you know. But the, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for the real story. <laughs> when I do my book. It's all right. You We're know, working on stuff, but right now I'm 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 chronicling chronicling my life through my disco podcast. Show. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay everybody,
1: we got a, we got a piece from his book because his his publicist sent over this from the Felipe book that they're working on. And look how he would come out on stage. Isn't that hot or what? Look at that. Well, do you see the bells? Look at the bells. Look at the bells. He's got the bells right there. Look at that.
0: That's like four and a half pounds each night on on each ankle. I had legs that could kill. I could choke somebody. (laughs) I think I did. I think I did. I was pretty famous for that. (laughs) But here's the thing. I did have a ball. I really did have a ball. And was enjoying everything. But up until that moment when... The industry suddenly, it became too much. The music disco duck and all of this, oh, it, Felipe. it became now too much. The, 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 the one incident, the one incident that made everything crumble was the disco burning party uh, at Comiskey Park with the DJ Steve Dahl. From the Chicago <laughs> You're Christian. clear on it. He was a Steve Dog. I spoke to him. I, I he was my first my first episode on the Disco Chronicles. And mm-hmm. I didn't think that he was going to say yes, but my segment producer uh, pitching, How are you gonna start your show? How are you gonna do the Chronicles of uh, the Disco Chronicles? Where I pull the curtains back on the good, on the bad, and the ugly. And that was by far the ugliest moment in our time. Because sure. suddenly, suddenly, July 19, 1979, at Kaminsky Park, this 24-year-old guy, like me, 24, on the opposite sides of the spectrum, I'm with a popular group with two albums getting ready to come out. No, sorry, three. You had the live and sleazy, live and sleazy, and the and the soundtrack of the movie. So this stunt that he uh, pe- perpetrated, perpetrated with the Chicago White Sox they told everyone, all the fans, bring a disco record, bring and borrow your your mother's, your sister's disco record, get into the park for free and beers. 99. But here's
1: the thing about that: you now the records in the fire and they burned it and came into a riot. The records they brought, they were showing us were Isaac Hayes, black records, gay records. There was nothing in there that was truly disco. It was more like it was. They threw like in a few Village
0: People albums. And, well, the Village you know. People albums, yeah, the Village People, and the, even yeah, like I threw in some Donna Summer album because I actually got a hold, but I did have them on my show, and I did say that you know that that, that caused a chain reaction where that was considered a, and it was like you know like burning books, and it also it also looked racially motivated because uh, disco music was. Uh, is a black and urban, Latino, gay, and gay, Latino, and black music. And so, because he was a rock and roller playing rock music, and his 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 show was for a change, the format, to disco. So his gig was, he would play a disco song, but then he dragged the record off by the... <laughs> and that's then suddenly the Chicago White Sox. But they used him as an escape because at that moment... The entire industry panicked. Radio panicked. And then Disco Sucks movement came in. And then the industry panicked. And then there was a collapse of the entire genre of music. Well,
1: here's the thing now, Felipe. If of, you're disco, blessed,
0: of, of disco music.
1: Here's the thing about disco. It, it became so big that you have Frank Sinatra, Ethel Merman, and these type of people trying to record disco records,
0: which kind of made it a joke. Johnny Mathis, too? Yeah, bizarre. but that's what I mean. It became suddenly, it was watershed. Oh. Suddenly, everyone had to do it. And it was like, oh, my God, this is awful. And then when the movie came out, it was even worse. Okay, so
1: let me show the clip now. Okay, everybody, I was able to pull a clip from his Hollywood production when he was in the movie. Check this out. I took the sound out, so don't start sending messages. Oh, there's no sound. There's a reason why. If we play audio, we get clamped. On you gonna shut you down. Hey, shut us down. Like we didn't pay the rent. So here we go. So he's going to tell you what this is.
0: Look at Felipe in the group. Okay. That's Valerie. And that's Paul Sam. And we're in a recording studio, actually recording a song, but also auditioning for him, which should have not happened. So we're singing liberation, the song liberation. And the woman sitting... I'm two steps behind everybody. And Glenn's feather, my feathers are hitting Glenn in the face, not going well. And this, and this is Marilyn Sokol. She's been in many comedy shows. She was the the band's dresser and choreographer. Wires are getting, you know, tangled. Everyone's going, okay. This is really kind of. Does it sound good? What are they doing? We staged this thing ourselves because they really didn't know where they wanted to go with this this scene. See, so I'm purposely two beats behind. And that's hard to do because you're not doing it along with all of them. I can't believe, Lenny, that you actually pulled this off. You got this. (laughs) That's Steve Gutenberg in the corner. And there's Ray Simpson. So anyway, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun doing the movie, but it was very it was difficult because we were, you know, these d- scenes have to be done over and over again. And you're not in front of a live audience, so you have to try to recreate the energy of, uh, of the take, of the last take, and try to do it again and then again. Um, but I think that day we did it maybe three or four times, um, and it, it was a wrap. But we were very easy to work with. It was everyone else that was, uh, there's David losing his mind and losing his temper. Oh, Bruce Jenner. Hi, Caitlin. (laughs) Unbelievable. People hated him after he did that to me. Hit me in the mouth. He never touched me. It looked like, it looked like in the movie. No, I, I used to say that. I used to say that and he, he would turn and look at me and go, I'm sorry I didn't hit you. <laughs> First of all,
1: was that all shot?
0: I mean, it was fun was at the time. Was, was that, that all shot in New York or, or part of it in California? You know, or? It Los Angeles. That was Los Angeles. The exterior shots, like the village, were done interior in Los Angeles. Um, cities uh, streets that look like the village and then um exteriors were done in new york the summer that we were shooting and also another movie that was shooting on the other side of town was cruising with al pacino and that was also a very dark movie about the, the gay lifestyle and so you had one bubblegum hollywood movie that was just they were they were what what they were doing was Casablanca at that at that point they were homogenizing everything that the group was. They were stripping away that bad boy kind of attitude that we had and were cleaning it, polishing it, making it squeaky clean for Hollywood. And it wasn't working out. The movie really uh, failed in the U.S. because we didn't need all those actors and people to help us. We could have carried the movie up by ourselves. It would have been more interesting, you know. So. You're talking about Al
1: Pacino. I'm going to bring this up. I remember in one scene at movie, he's dancing. I, I don't remember which cl- where it was. If it was supposed to be at uh, one, what, the the bar down on the in the Ron. Yes, and obviously goes like this. And they're doing this, and he gives it to the guy. And what he was doing was everybody. There was a funny drug called poppers. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but, in the, but in the handkerchief wasn't it ethyl chloride I'm sorry ethyl chloride right so he'd be he'd be like going like this and then he'd go like this here Felipe you know put it on you know, and they tie on. them together and they
0: spray it and inhale it uh, right
1: so he in the movie they show that it was like wow what is he doing now if you're not clubbing or anything you don't really know what the hell that's going you think he's cleaning or wiping his faces no they're all feeling right and happy But see, that's what we're talking about, how the change was beginning, how things were, you know, you were there in a culture change as well. Major culture change. I don't know if you realize that, but you were a big part of the culture change. You know, you took from the nightclubs and made it commercial and viable to the United States and the world where people in middle America never experienced any of that stuff What was going on. Like you said, in New York nightlife, and he casted a, ca- a bunch of people to play the parts in real life on stage, on TV, and you. I mean, look. It's did you, so do cool. See, did you, you do Love Boat too? Did you do Love Boat as well? Love Boat yeah. as well. Did you do the
0: Love Boat show? Did you do that as well? Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm saying. You guys are on all the Channel Seven shows, like all It was the- too much television, though. At the time, it was well too much, way too much. The Married with children, uh, Love Boat, um, you know, a lot, too much TV. It was too much. But then again, that was our only outlet. Now today you have social media, you know, and today anyone that can sing well and looks good and can drop a video and it sells uh, or, or streams, you know, over 100,000 times, they suddenly become overnight stars. And they didn't really do any of the work, the discipline of what it takes to go to the studio to record, to rehearse, to, you know, meet with people to get styled and all that. And how do you go out and and, uh, access, uh, have ability, uh, accessibility to your fans. So a lot of artists don't have that. So they can become, and Cardi B speaks hard, big on that. She speaks big on that. And she, you know... Has a, She's a smart woman and she basically has talked about the fact that anybody can be an artist today, you know, just by put, uploading music, doing the video, hitting send and boom, they're on their way. True. But even more so, we're finding
1: that you could be a social influencer, have no talent and have millions of people watching you and and do something stupid and become a superstar. Yeah, with yeah, no talent, no talent, no dancing lessons, no understanding how to do musical instrument, none of that, vocal yeah. training, no acting. No. And do something no. silly and be an overnight sensation. I've seen it all the time on YouTube. It's crazy. You know, compared to
0: something you said earlier that, you know, it, it, to me um uh what everything that was done with the group and and the and what and where we went and where we took this thing that really wasn't supposed to last that long. Um, it's no small feat to actually make something that came out of the ghettos of the village to make it a worldwide trademark name with music. I mean, it, that, that now will last forever. Um, And so it was no small feat doing that and putting that work in. And I have no regrets. I'm happy that I did it. And, um, and so now looking back, Uh, From the outside, looking in again now, I can now uh, take note that I have to say that uh, all of it was satisfied, regardless of whichever way it went or how the chips fell.
1: Okay, so we'll get to that in a second. But the first part was 1979 Kaminsky Park. Post that all happening, like I heard now Rogers say the following weeks, we're going to get real dark for everybody. What happened with all you guys? What did you all do? I mean, it was like you got the albums coming out. Disco sucks.
0: The whole thing, you know, the whole we to, yeah. We had to trash uh, both three albums. Uh, literally, throw them in the garbage. That's that's uh, that's what I was trying to make under trying to and speaking to Steve Dahl uh, in our in our interview, which is on my YouTube page, the Disco Chronicles. Um, I said, you realize that a lot of the hard work. That, and money invested into these albums. You have three albums. You have a live album done at the Greek theater and the preparation of a week of rehearsals and and, and and wiring and sound checks and all that. And then you have the Sleazy album, which was the full recorded album. So you had a live and Sleazy album, which was a dual, you know, it opened up. Like there's two albums there. And then you have the soundtrack of the of the of the movie. So you had literally over a million dollars worth of music, maybe more, that suddenly had to be trashed. But with the group with the global fan base that we had, we were able to move around the world while disco was like suddenly shutting down in the United States. And then hip hop started started to then suddenly re-emerge. And then that suddenly was now the birth of a new music. Um, and early hip hop, I love me some early hip hop,
1: you know, sure. But then here we go. So, because Europe always embraced dance music, it never stopped. So, even though we had the backlash, Europe kept you guys going. When did it really start to kind of drop off for you all as you know, shows and everything like slow down? Because everybody has that moment, you
0: know. Well, just because you're not performing in the United States doesn't mean that you're not performing anywhere else in the world. And so we were always somewhere in the world. Like I just did in May of 2017, which was my last tour, I went to Australia for the 39th time. That was my 39th visit in 40 years of a career. Wow. while, while While the group wasn't working and wasn't viable, even the music... Wasn't you know people weren't digging it anymore. We were able to tap into other countries around the world and perform and recorded other albums after that. Um, there were minor successes, not not as big as uh, as the others were. The three or four previous albums, but that the others had hits in Italy, like five o'clock in the morning. The Renaissance album, which we we changed the image. I don't know if we were being spiteful. Because of the way the industry flipped on us, so we dropped we dropped the images and we went and did a new wave look. Then there was another. There were several albums after that, but well, nothing ever really captured that magic. But we still toured. We then moved into casinos, um, Vegas, casino act, toured countries. We were, you know, other acts that had big records couldn't get toured. But it was also the stage actress group. and right, people people wanted to see it. See here's the thing now. Like,
1: for example, and BG's also, you know that they were the other counter bands at the same time. as the disco backlash happened, they were getting death threats. They couldn't even perform anywhere.
0: Well, I was stunned in, in doing research for uh, the disco Chronicles and just re- realizing that when I was getting ready to interview Denny terrio was a really great guy. He's the American Italian choreographer that gave uh, uh, John Travolta all his dance moves. Basically, they didn't get the music till even when they were rehearsing. They were rehearsing the soul R and B record, and the and the Beaches. Never in in fairness to them, they never saw a script. It was Robert Stigwood that felt that. The movie needed a soundtrack and that their soundtrack was perfect for it. But when you really think about it, the movie was very dark. Uh, uh, it was uh, racist. It was a uh, girl. Homophobic. Got, girl got homophobic. Girl got raped in the car. Ju- guy jumped off the bridge. It was a mis- misogynist. really crazy. It wouldn't come out today. They would, (laughs) and the beaches didn't know that the music that the movie was what it was in subject matter. So they were so for the sake of once again, the industry wasn't really ever really thinking along the lines of the artists, the way they produce music. Either producers or or people in the industry felt it's the best move to make, and it is. And the movie did was great because they tuned into John Travolta being sexy and dancing. Okay. And so the love affair was there. The music was great. So it was the music and John Travolta that made the movie global.
1: Meanwhile, he only did it because he wanted to get the other two parts of the pictures, Greece and the other one. Like, that was never really meant. That was Paul. I didn't know
0: that. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was all like a three-package deal. We get him for X amount of money. Yeah, Alan Carr. Yeah, Yeah, Alan Carr. Oh, that's right, Greece.
1: Yeah, Remember, Carr he greases the word, all those songs, and Frankie Avalon, and,
0: and all that stuff. Then Alan Carr did grease, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so he was the producer of Cast Out the Music. Right, so that's what I'm saying. another disaster, and two trains that collided. You <laughs> had two flamboyant queens, <laughs> the Jacques Morali, the late Jacques Morali, and Alan Carr collided, and they just didn't see eye to eye.
1: What they
0: envision for the group. And actually, I wish they would have followed Alan Carr's lead. Now what you have to do, when he showed us the movie in uh, one of the small theaters, and this is what he told us, this is what now your producers have to do. They weren't there. He played the movie for us. This is going to be released. Now, if they just go out, I would have put a brand new tour together and go out big and promote the show with live shows, with a new this, we throw the video up on the stage, and it never happened. I wish that when he mentioned it to them, that they would have taken him serious. But they decided, no, we'll just rest on So, board.
1: So now, I saw the, the thing that Barry Gibb did, the Bee Gees on HBO. That was and great. Did you see it as well? I loved it,
0: it. yeah. They yeah.
1: mentioned how Paramount said, Robert Stigwood said to Paramount, we're going to work the record, in this territory and you put, I need you to put the billboards up. So as they worked the ballot as the first tune before the big burn baby burn thing happened, they were pushing the BGS in every territory in the United States. And as the, the single rose to the top, then they put up the billboards with Paramount Cyanide Fever. So it was like a chain reaction, but they went on a ballot, not a disco, not the disco track. How Deep Is Your Love was the first single from the album they pushed. Oh, was it?
0: I didn't know
1: that. Yeah, I learned that on HBO special. And I was like, how amazing the marketing. Because how do you penetrate middle America? You don't play a fast song, especially to people in country music. They need those heartbroken songs. Right. They need I a lost my song. dog. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So How Deep Is Your Love? It's like perfect, slow and then they put the Paramount, San and Fever billboard up,
0: and boom! What a great strategy. But the record labels and, and and even Casablanca, they were really huge with their marketing strategy, and they knew how to promote and they yeah. an attack on all fronts with radio, with billboards, with television appearances, and even they would create live situations where they rolled out red carpets and in a parking lot boom, we're having a a night in Hollywood, you know. Um, So it was an interesting time. But then again, everything was so excessive that everything came to an end. You know, the party had to stop. And uh, and it did, sadly, for many others, for one reason or another. Damn. But we were all like, we were all lusting over your,
1: in other words, We lusted over you guys being so famous. Oh, okay. In the sense of that, you know, going, shit, we wish we were like that. Because, you know, fame has a price. Fame does have a price. I mean, your life must have changed. You probably couldn't just go run around and be normal like you were pre to this all exploding.
0: I could. Somewhat. Somewhat I could. I could. uh, People weren't
1: chasing you in the streets. Felipe! Running
0: out of my gear, I was totally... Walk through crowds and nothing. Only at times when someone would recognize you. And that's an eerie feeling, uh, you know, to be stopped on the street. But but then again, it also feels good, too. (laughs) You like that, right? Isn't it a good feeling? It's a good
1: feeling, though. So you guys tour for many, many years. Like you said, 39 out of 40 years is a long time, you know, with Australia and all that. And you were able to keep going. And we get to the point now, I, I remember when... I, don't get angry at me because I'm going to ask the question. But Victor Willis comes back out of nowhere and things start to he wants his masters and he's fighting to, you know, can't stop productions. He's trying to get a grip of everything and everybody. Um, how does that start? Because you guys are touring still.
0: Well, we were finishing our, our 40th anniversary tour. Okay. And then when we re- we re- we returned home, it was suddenly we received the news that the trademark that um, that I was a part of was no longer ours, and that it was now going to the x singer, and that he had won all his rights to his masters, his uh, publishing, and also the name of the group. They gave it to him, and so it was like shock, you know, and awe. It wasn't pretty. Um, I'm looking back now. I'm much happier than I am now than I was back then. Oh, I bet. I bet. It I was bet. a nightmare. I don't wish trials and litigations on no one. The amount of money that I had to spend to pull myself out because suddenly they would they, the the battle was between the two groups, the ones I was with, who are now fighting for the name to get it back. And sadly, once it's given away, you got to let it play out. It is what it is. You know, things happen for a reason. And for me, I realized I'd stayed too long at the party because by then I already put in four lead singers, three cowboys, three construction workers and two bikers and forgot to replace myself. (laughs) So I got pushed out the door. So it wasn't about me. I just got caught in the middle. And the thing is, if I would have stayed with the guys over there that became Kings of Disco, formerly known as the Village People, what does that say to the 40 years I threw into the bucket? He's like, nothing. And so then I can't call myself an original member. Nothing. Okay. If I were to go with that, and I said, no, I had a good run. It's time to go. And, and you know, looking back now, I, I was able to really do two things that were very smart in play for me. And I always say this to people. I didn't discuss it during that time of what was going on and how dark it was, um, I didn't talk about it on social media. I let the trips fall where they may. And the way it ended and what came out of it was basically I'm the only one that walks the earth and dresses this way and can retain my name and my reputation. Sort of like a Tina Turner kind of thing. You yeah, know, I mean, come on, I, you got I, an image. I didn't want any of the settlement money. I just wanted to be left alone to be creative, to be Felipe Rose, to be still called one of the original co-founders and original members. And, and I'm good. I'm good with that. And so at the end of that, wish everyone well, but I'm happy, I'm ha- I'm smiling, and I'm the one that danced last, and so now I'm dancing again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's But wait, before you did
0: dance again... Last one dancing and dancing Bef-
1: again. Before you talk about dancing again, I remember you did going back to my roots as well. Was that the first single you stepping out as
0: you stepping as Felipe now? That was actually my fourth single because Whoa. the first one was that was in 2000, 2000 when I I uh, wrote and produced the uh, Trail of Tears, the retelling of the forced removal of the Cherokee Nation, and then at the NAMI's I opened up the show at the Native American Music Awards. It's on. Uh, Trail of Tears is on my YouTube channel. And um, and then that night I picked up my first Native American Music Award for Best Historical Recording. Then the second year, I then released We're Still Here from a book I read of the contemporary N- Indians in this country and that we're still here, but yet you can't really see us, but we're here. You, we're, we live amongst you. You're here. Um, we live among you today in this real world called The United States. And so the song "We're Still Here" was really heavily infused with dance, and I brought in a couple of artists, hip hop, hip hop native artists, and then that picked up song of the year with the nominees. Then I did a third uh, trifecta, a, a trifecta where I produced. Well, I was already living in Richmond, Virginia, and I was I I did a uh, produced and wrote an album of uh, called "Red Hawk Woman" of the life and times of. Thomasina E. Jordan, who represented the eight unfederated tribes in Virginia. And basically it was a story about her life in song, spoken word, and hip hop, and poetry. And that one picked up like five awards. So then when going back to My Roots Happened and here we are moved forward to uh, 2017, in 18s my fans were so pissed off and so upset that they were witnessing another group with another replacement and a new group. And, uh, and and the only thing I could do to let them know that I'm okay was to record Going Back to My Roots, which is a remake from the old group Odyssey. They're, they're still around, Odyssey, the native New Yorker. And they sang that song and it was written for them, Sandy Litzer, Sandy Litzer and uh, Richie Havens. Uh, but it was produced by... Michael Narada Walden. And so this version that I did of going back to my roots, I then brought in some more Native artists. And then that basically told my my story as I went out in 18 and 19 to to tour. And that was in my show. And then I just stopped in 19. I couldn't do two things, the litigation or tour. So I took that year off. And in 220, I went out and then I uh, did went out again uh, to perform on that cruise, and that's when I came back with the bug. Okay, I want to do this again, but it's a song, "Dance with Me," that reflects the times that we're living in. That you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted a message, to, this message to be heard loud and clear. That no matter if we coming out of lockdown, we need to dance. In life, we need to dance. If we go back into another lockdown. Don't forget to dance again, because that's really the most important thing in, that the body and the soul needs. It's music, dance, and joy. And then the kindness that you treat yourself with and everyone else, you know. So there it is in a nutshell. Yeah, you pretty much covered it. So when you
1: go out you now. You pretty was, much covered it. I mean, you pretty much. I'm, I'm trying to cover as much as I can to give the people the understanding of, of the you know, what you're dealing with as running a professional company because you are a brand. An international trademark for I mean, You are a brand. Is,
0: and everything that you have to work at and it's not a picnic. And there were times I didn't want to go into an office uh, in New York City. There were times that I had to call a meeting every Friday or every Wednesday, midweek, so that we can catch up on the week beginning and catch up on what needs to be done in the, in the uh, you know, internationally and, sh- and shows. You work on contracts. You do your interviews. You do your video greetings. I mean, there's so much that went into keeping that trademark and keeping the group going. But we were, we all pitched in. You know, every everyone had a role. Um, and Felipe, when
1: when Jocks died, okay, Jocks Moroni died. Did the Can't Stop Productions die as well with it, or did that keep going and then? How did that work with you guys taking we over? We
0: broke up and it, it ended. Yeah, it ended in 85. We broke up. And then in 87, um, I received a phone call from, uh, where I don't know where I was. I think I was in my house on the, uh, down at Gateway Plaza, down there in Lower Battery Park City. And, I got, and there was a call from Randy Jones Telling me that they were all in a rehearsal hall uh, with with the guys, that they were thinking of putting it together again. And in 85, when I left, I said, I didn't want to do it again. And they said, no, we're gonna get together. We're just waiting for you to say yes. <laughs> so they trapped me. So we got back together. And this time we ran the show ourselves. We we put the company together as S-I-X-V S S-I-X-U-V-U-S, Six of Us Limited. Also known as village people, and we went off and bankrolled our own show, and then we stayed on tour till 217.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. Now I wanted to understand. I'm,
0: exhausted. I'm, I'm good.
1: Exhausted. good. No, I want I want that insight. I wanted the inside track because again, nobody knows that stuff. Only you guys know that because you lived it and But you live and you learn. And wait, you know, wait, wait, you wait, 85, 86, 87. When did it stop? Like you
0: said, you took a break, you in Gateway Plaza down in Barry Park City. How long it, only- on, it was only it broke up for only two years. And then when we got back together again, then suddenly Randy only lasted another two and a half years and he left. We replaced him with one guy. And then it just kept going all these years. Uh when one member got tired and replaced him with another one. We lost Glenn, sadly, and he died, passed away of cancer. Two packs of cigarettes a day. Two. Really. Nobody wanted to drive in the car with him because he, <laughs> he smelled like a cigarette. You know, He literally would drive days ahead of a concert so that he could smoke in the car because you couldn't smoke on the plane either. <laughs> he was a true chimney. He really- By the time we would fly into town, he was already baked, half-baked and. You know, and, and 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 back back sore sore back from sleeping in his car. But anyway, that's who he was. He was a great guy. Um, you know, and we kept it going all those years, and we had fans around the world. We had countries that we fell on during hard times. See, because that's what everybody was wondering. Because you
1: know, again, the production team Casablanca ends. You know, there's a lot of things that happen at the same
0: time. Radio suddenly it was taboo even to be in the group. And let me tell you something. I still have people, I still have gays, and I I don't blame them. You know, ever since the head scratcher of Donald Trump playing YMCA, I have gays that tell me, I hate that song! (laughs) And I go like this, hey, I didn't write it. I didn't write it, and he's using it, permission granted somewhere else. But I like the money! (laughs) You it's know, like it's cha-ching, cha-ching every time it's played. Yeah, cha-ching. yeah. You know, so you know, like you know, I don't have any room to complain. I've had a very, lived a very charmed life. Knock on this wooden uh, desk, mission desk. Um, you know, very fortunate to have toured the world that many times, uh, five passports, and uh, to have met royalty, uh, people from all walks of life. And to I've really enjoyed myself. So I'm really actually taking my time. I've got some shows this week, this month, uh, uh, some small appearances that I'm doing, but I'm kind of enjoying where I am right now, sitting here, talking with you, sharing my story with my life with you guys. Um, this actually will be one of the very last podcast interviews I'm doing. So Mr. Fontana... And he said that to me. He said, "You're so
1: very lucky." I ain't doing nothing more, and let me tell you why. Look, look at reason why. Look at his grace with his star. You see what I'm saying? That's OG to me, and a doll. He's wonderful.
0: Thank you. No, no, thank you. Not- but I've been doing interviews, literally, when the song came out and exploded on the internet, literally around the world, doing interviews since. Since memorial weekend and so i know i really haven't had a i, I waited anything i, waited. I planned anything and i was also doing my 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 disco chronicle show and then i'm like right now trying to figure my way through the music video where we stopped again and i'm sort of because i'm so hands on everything it's terrible that i i i know what i want but if it's not there i don't want to keep going let's just stop and reboot so this is where we're at right now. We're on a pause. Uh, some again, sport. again a pause, another pause, well, right? The thing is, that, again, I didn't really anticipate at all for the song to explode like that, and 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 what have you. And so I, it was just a message to the world of how I was feeling. Let me put it out there. This is where we are right now. And now the interest is coming back, percolating to tour and perform again, or perform again. And so I've got some. Uh, Jersey city on the 14th with the, uh, uh, the LGBT uh, Jersey city pride. It's a French fest. So I do my part in helping. uh, I'm from Jersey city anyway, um, helping a lot of the uh, LGBT groups, you know, around the country with, with interviews and things like that. And then I've got a private party in long Island. Then I've got the, uh, my out of town tryout, which is what I like calling it. So the longer show, I'm test-driving it out on Staten Island <laughs> at Studio 54's uh, Pastels. It's like Studio 54. It's huge. It's got the stage, the lights. It's all Italians. And I'm going to go and I'm going to... Oh, wait a minute. That's what I wanted to ask you. Give them a slice of disco. Where was
1: the first performance, Village People, you guys did. The first performance. Oh... Come on, that's a that's a crazy question. That's a lemouche? Le
0: was it Lemouche or was it oh, Haraz? Okay. Oh, Haraz. Haraz. Was it there? I'm, I don't know. I'm asking you I guys to tell me. I don't. It was either there or or 2001. Because
1: because Rafi D. I think Rafi D. said you put you guys perform a few times at uh, Odyssey 2001, right? Yeah, and with Jolie, who was sixteen. Yeah, Big they won the fir- if not the second or first performance. If Ralphie D was on right now, I'd ask him. I think he said maybe that was the first club or second performance. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But I've been wanting to ask you that. You're well,
0: Where- taking me back, and that's a long that's a long way to go. You know, to remember to remember that far back. Um, but at least you remembered. At least you remembered Well, no, I, I know one of them. I don't know exactly which one. I'm not really good with dates like uh, Mary Lou Hanner can tell you if it was a Tuesday and what shirt you were wearing. Like, That's if crazy. Remember. That's crazy. Yeah, she's great. She's a great gal. She's a great gal. Yeah, we've met some really amazing people, you know, in, in, in this life. And so the one, the one really crazy picture that keeps circulating the internet a lot is the one with Michael Jackson, Jane Fonda. Yeah, I got that. Let's let's show that. <laughs> and, Look at that picture. And and Bruce Jenner.
1: Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> I love Jane Fonda. She looks fabulous in that show. Now she does with Lily Tomlin.
0: Yeah, she sent me um the color ver- colorized version of that. She sent it to me and tagged me through Instagram. Um, yeah, Lily Tomlin is wonderful too. She is. Uh, I met her a few years ago. In Palm Springs at the night of a thousand stars or something like that, a big ace ben- ace benefit.
1: Yeah, that's been circulating.
0: So saying, look,
1: so you want to know, you want to talk about star power and royalty? Look at the people you got your hand around. Your hands around all the right people. Well,
0: I was on one knee and Jane is sitting on my. Yeah, I
1: know. Um, I get it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And Valerie's still sweet. She has MS right now, and so um. I saw her two years ago, and then I just popped a picture up on my Facebook page. And uh, there's a really wonderful documentary done by St- Stacey Souther and the uh, Arrowcats that are financing this documentary on the life of Valerie Perrine. And uh, so if you get a chance, check it out, guys. It's a really beautiful story of beautiful actress, and she's so kind. And we're still good friends. Aww. Last time I saw her, I took her an Orchid. And I took her some pot. Yeah. she's laying in bed. I don't believe it. Thank you. That's so great. You oh, know, God. but uh, it's, it's just, it's again, to, to be in the grace of something like that, where, where, what she's going through only makes my life even just more, more gracious to really be blessed with that. If you don't have your health, you have nothing. You have to have your health first your mental stability, because there's a lot of people I know that are still not well. (laughs) The funny thing that I learned about COVID is that I realized how much I really don't like people. So I mean that in a funny way because I don't really throw myself out. I'm still sort of only pockets of groups of people that I was socializing with last year. And I've expanded my horizon a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, people are really, are very different now in the way they communicate.
1: Well, you notice everyone has a lot of time in their hands, so you're actually slowed down enough to really see what's going on around you. That's the difference.
0: That's very interesting, yeah. That's very interesting, yeah. So, we have, uh, because we were all in the. You were like, oh. (gasps) thank God! You were looking at the thing like. How things we, they things that we took for granted or just uh, or just swiped to the right or to the left and just kept going now we just look at stuff and go wow uh, one thing I don't do I don't like posing po- posting my personal if I cut a finger I'm not putting that up on social media or something personal have I don't keep I, I I try to keep it fun and when people get silly I have to correct them um Lately, people have been mailing merchandise to my house, which is a no-no. <coughs> and if you send it to- wait, wait, I have no. a P.O. box. I have a. Business. Oh, oh! I, I thought be, I thought you don't want no <laughs> merchandise. No, okay. my home, my personal home. So if people mail stuff to my home. No, they won't get it. They're not getting it. I'll send it okay. off somewhere else. Yep. Well, Whoa. There's a peel box. There's on the on the Felipe Rose. Is there a reason why you don't want <laughs> to your personal home? Is there a particular people are crazy? It's people are stalkers,
1: and then I've had a they few mean, of those in my life. That see, that's the, this is why we're asking.
0: There's always I've had, I've had no, I've had stalkers. How bad? Well, that was that one was really out of control, and I, for some reason, I, I I love Facebook for that reason. I said, oh my god. And just I have a stalker and people like freaked out and said, are you serious? You need to take care of that. And they were like, it just turned into a hole. I had to go to the police station and file papers. And they said, don't take this light. A news reporter, friend of mine, he's always on News Twelve. He texts me, said, "You all right? You want to talk about us?" And no, I don't want to get on TV. I, well, he's on TV right now. You're oh, telling us. You're no, telling us on no, Letty Fontana's. No, please, no. please, I want to be stalked by a cute guy, not like, like some crazy woman who's in love. Oh, with is a name. woman stalking you? Madly in love. She was no. Scary. She was scary. She was scary. Yo, is this like? Okay. Being like- holiday crying, and they'll do the world to me, and I'm going to kill myself. You know, it's like, it was really bad. Was like, ah! Oh, she's gone, thank God. She's gone. So anyway. Oh my, my God. Mohawk, my mohawk is crooked. So listen, I don't know if people are watching us. Can they see? <laughs> are, are people What's they watching? They're watching around the world. We're so thrilled. Everybody's writing in,
1: thanking you. Um, you always see how you shock us every moment with something fresh.
0: Oh, now, okay. I know, now I didn't know anything about those stalkers. I didn't see. i anything. feel that everyone has one. I mean, you, man, you may not necessarily feel that you might not. You probably have had it. But, but it? what? Wait, wait, wait. What constitutes the, a stalker? Yes, they give me. The, what happened? What do they do? They start to write to you, and they start to tell you that they want are waiting to have dinner with you, or they're starting to uh uh like. React to the fact that you didn't call them on Christmas and then there's crime behind it and it's like, whoa. Did you actually know the person? They got it off of my uh through Facebook because you can find someone's phone number. Sure, of course. But I'm saying is a Google number and that's all you're gonna get now. Well, right. But I'm saying is You have my personal number. We have That's a
1: difference. We're all on the Thank you, everyone. And we know why. We're all we all work together. We know we may not maybe work together, but we have a professional courtesy to each other. We right. know not to each other's numbers out. That's just the way it rolls. Um, but in this case, this is interesting now. She's calling, you're not responding. She's sending you messages, and you probably look at them, going, "Oh, please, whatever." Yeah, I would save the messages, and then I
0: would please not. Start, get oh, back. please,
1: whatever, whatever.
0: Yeah, no, and then I had to report where she was living, and I found out that she was living uh, in a in a place for problem adults and all that. Oh, okay, okay. So it was really someone very disturbed, but and I had to it, I had to finally put a stop to it. See and now I, here's Here's the
1: thing, you know. Yesterday, I was watching that old Michael Douglas movie, Fatal Attraction. You know, and I said this when that movie came out, it made people think about cheating. Like, really, was I was rattled when I walked. up. Yes, everybody was. I was re rattled watching I to that. I go get a drink. <laughs> you get to a moment. Thank, Thank you. You say to yourself, oh my God, this can really happen. This can really happen to anybody, gay, straight, whatever. You know, you get someone, it could be a one-night affair. And in your case, of course, thank God it's we're laughing about it. Nothing really happened. But things, shit, let's be real. Shit really happens. I mean, you hear about this stuff, people getting killed and things like that. And you know, when you mentioned about having this, I'm like, what?
0: You have that? It wasn't wasn't the first time. I had had uh, two or three. Well, um, no, especially in the public car. One in LA and uh, you know, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's really how you react. The more you react, the more they you keep them in in play. You keep the more you react to what they're saying, the the better it is for them. You got a reaction out of me. So the thing is to not react and ignore, ignore, okay, now it's continuing. And so you file a police report and if you're lucky enough to know where they are, they get sent to them. And also, officers will knock on your door. So, um, you know, I, for that reason, because of a lot of the people on Facebook, fans and friends um, that I know, they gave me great advice. They said, don't, don't. You need to read. Don't, don't treat it as a uh, like post. That You just said, oh, I think I have a, a stalker. You have a stalker. This is not good. And so thank you for the community work we do together. <laughs> Right, you just have it. Let me just put this
1: out there and see how this responds. I
0: don't know. I don't know that. There was every call I think I've got a stalker. You know, having my <laughs> I, here I'm drinking coffee. Everybody,
1: I think I got a stalker. What do you all think I should do?
0: Yeah, That's what I do.
1: and Facebook. Now, you know,
0: we we need to like. Uh, we should we we be concerned with um our lovely friend Linda Clifford and all her coffee in the morning because like. I rattle now just looking at her posts because everything is coffee, 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 coffee. And so I make my coffee now and think of her every morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Linda Clifford was a fabulous. She's she's just a class act. And yes. watching her, of course, with her coffee in the morning, she leaves all those posts. I'm just starting my day with my coffee or I'm just having my coffee. Well,
0: sometimes they're coffee and they're scary posts, too. <laughs> yeah, she's angry. <laughs> She's
1: clarifying what she's feeling right now. She's letting you know. But that's, I guess, that's the world we live in now. You know, years ago, you didn't have that sounding board like
0: that. when you're No, handy- no, no. And, and, and it's come in handy. I mean, I also did some uh, um, speaking to a therapist online as well during my post-traumatic stress disorder after losing my producer in August of last year and Warren Gluck in June. Uh, DJ Warren Glove. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. God bless him. And so for that, um, I was able to use this platform and the uh, social media and actually speak to someone a couple of times, and it's good. Um, so if for anything, if it's used right, the way we're using it, it's it's great. But the internet, sadly, is scary, and you can't believe everything you read on the internet, folks. <laughs> Free Britney.
1: Free Britney, I know. On so, that
0: so I have a thing now that I say off the cuff for no reason at all, only because it sounds funny. Debbie Gibson.
1: Only in my dreams. I just say Debbie Gibson. Only in my
0: dreams. Debbie Gibson? You know, she, she, and she, she was what well, she was the Taylor Swift of our time. And and to everyone, La lafam That's right. That's right. I love some Corey Day at the powwow. She's yes. like, oh, <laughs> gonna have a powwow. Oh, pass the peace pipe. Peace pipe. Ooh. Oh, I wanted to record that song, but I said, nah, I better not. Mm. So, you, made a
1: yeah, so now we're, we're gonna be at Pastels, you're gonna keep going and in the summer, and then hopefully keep our fingers crossed we don't go into some sort of lockdown, we will be watching what you're doing, and we will be always supporting you. Thank of course you. We're Always big fans of you. And put that in the... Oh, one other question. How long does it take you to get ready with putting on... Do you still do the makeup and stuff like you used to do? I do
0: the makeup, per se. No, I, no um, I... Do I put on my roach, my mohawk, my jewelry, my vest? Yeah, I mean, if I was going to get back into the loincloth with the chaps and all that and the G-string going up the crack of my... (laughs) And all that, that took a lot lot longer. But now I just throw on, like, buckskin pants with fringe and all that. Uh, It takes me about a good hour plus. But it's also mentally. I get mentally ready to perform and hit the stage. And I have to always prepare myself I can't do a long meet and greet because then I get exhausted.
1: Do you so, still have
0: the original headdresses that you wore back? No, in the No, no. Matter of fact, I found one. I was cleaning one of the, uh, I use one of the showers off my office, uh, behind the curtain as a makeshift things for props and banners and like comic cons and things like that. And left a, a headdress in a cloth bag and not in a, uh, in a, in a plastic bag not in a cloth bag and when i took it out it disintegrated oh on me yeah i i, I cried i wrapped it up i'll figure something a proper burial for it or whatever but i have all of that other stuff upstairs in an, in an oak line uh what is it oak tree oak cedar closet inside yeah. cedar closet all of the suede and buckskins and all that
1: so stuff. the the feathers that you have in those
0: those dresses, what uh, what bird do they come from? Well, though, though, those are not those are not real eagle feathers. Those are imitation eagle feathers. Imitation. They are made, they are made by Native people. Uh, Crazy Crow is one of them. Yeah. Okay, so, so you're not actually wearing real... Uh, everything I have, you know, or my dad makes all my jewelry, all my okay. stuff. So anyway, um, I want to thank you, uh, Lenny. Bye-bye. I want to know. I just want to say um, that how long is this show gonna continue? Are uh, well, you gonna continue through the summer? We keep going. We're we already we're already fifty-four. You're the fifty-fourth or
1: fifty-fifth episode already. We're already a year already. So you don't okay a year, but you don't take a like a
0: break. You don't do like a season. No, break? No, we
1: haven't you? done a season break yet because we're actually finding that we're gonna be going prime time soon. So I'm just keep rolling forward
0: okay all right that sounds great if that's anything
1: eventually what will happen is i'll do some pre-tapings and then schedule them on the certain dates when we have to take time off or maybe at this point we could rerun shows for god's sake we got so many shows now
0: that's true yeah actually you could do that too yeah but the way you pulled you the way you pop them out i mean they're like you know all your babies and yeah some, some really great lineups, some really great guests you have
1: Fantastic! It's all all different parts of this of the music industry. It's great, right. but we definitely have to say a huge, humongous pff- thank you, big hug, and thank you again. And I will definitely see you hopefully before the summer is out. Maybe I'll stop maybe I'll come to Pastels and see you, or you'll. Oh, that would be fun. I think you said st- this weekend, right? This Saturday, right? Oh, the
0: 28th.
1: The 28th. I'll put all that up on social media. Put everything up. Watch Felipe Rose. Keep your eye on him. He still has a lot of energy and a lot of power and still a lot more to prove to all of us that he's got staying power. Thank and you. And he's not going nowhere, everyone.
0: Thank you. Everyone should just check out the website, www.feliperose.com. The, uh, the single is Dance Again, the Disco Chronicles, on the YouTube channel, official YouTube channel, Marsha Stern's probably watching us, and that's another angel in our lives. Icon Marsha Stern. She and was Robbie a- Leslie love him too. Robbie. Manny, I want to thank you again. All right. Fisco Cruz is here. We. He's got to get that.
1: He's got to get his voice back. He's got to get powers. He's got to get ready. He's getting ready. Thank you so much, Felipe. Everyone around the world, thank you for tuning in to True House Stories. Catch you next week. Love you all. Good night. Stay with us, Felipe. I want to thank you, and thank you again, everyone. Take care.